The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Hello, I'm Gordon Atherley. I'm a physician by background. I was trained in Britain, as I'm sure you can tell from my accent. I worked for many years in Canada and also with various colleagues in the U.S. I'm now retired from practice, but I'm still working in healthcare research and development. Now, I should explain that I see family caregiving as one of the most important supports for healthcare right across the world and right now. You see, family caregivers are the people who provide home care, care to family members suffering health challenges. The healthcare systems of so many countries rely on the unpaid, and it is unpaid, help of family care caregivers. Now here I have a confession. I'm an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Now our topic for today is healthcare professionals as family caregivers. This is when the family caregiver is also a frontline healthcare worker often a nurse who is employed in healthcare, and this is what we call double-duty caregiving. Our two guests are both distinguished researchers, Dr. Catherine Ward-Griffin and Professor Judith Phillips. Dr. Catherine Ward-Griffin is a professor. She's the chair of graduate programs in the Arthur Labatt Family School of Nursing at the University of Western Ontario in Canada. She's also a scientist in the Lawson Health Research Institute in London, Ontario. She researches in caregiving, health promotion, gender and social policy. She focuses her research on relationships among double-duty healthcare providers, older adults, and their families. That's when the family member is at home or in long-term care. She is especially interested in the blurring of boundaries between paid and unpaid care work. She's currently studying the experiences and health effects of double-duty caregiving by women and men who provide care at work and at home to their older relatives. Her research is funded by various national funding organizations. She publishes her research findings, and they're very widely published, in gerontology and nursing research journals. Judith Phillips is Professor of Gerontology and Social Work in the Center for Innovative Aging at Swansea University in Wales. She's Director of the Older People and Aging Research and Development Network in Wales, President of the British Society of Gerontology, Editor of the Policy Press series 
Aging and the Life course and a fellow of the Gerontological Society of America. She researches in the social aspects of aging, social work, social care, carers and employment, housing and retirement communities, intergenerational networks, and care work with older offenders. In 2002, she won the Work Life Balance Trust Award for nonfiction based on her research on juggling work and care for older people. Her recent publications include her co-authored book, Blurring the Boundaries, published by Taylor and Francis. Now, welcome to the show, both of you. And you. I've got a question which I'm going to put to you both, and the question is as follows. What's the typical picture of healthcare professionals as family caregivers? Who are they, and to whom are they providing care? Dr. Ward Griffin first, please. Yes, um, thank you. Uh, I'm, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, the majority of the double-duty caregivers that I have studied tend to be middle-aged, um, that is, over 45 years of age. They also tend to be working full-time and are married and provide assistance to mostly one relative, but there are certainly double-duty caregivers that provide care to more than, more than um, one relative, two, or even three relatives. And relatives are usually parents or parents-in-law. Uh, in a recent study that we are currently uh, doing, there are 82% of the elderly relatives were parents or parents-in-law living in their own homes. I think the picture is very similar in the UK as well. Uh, it's predominantly women, although increasingly men are providing care, again, between the ages of 35 and 60. Uh, but predominantly, they tend to be in part-time work, uh, but do provide care to uh, one relative. But I think we have to be quite careful about how we describe a typical picture, because it could be anybody who is providing care to an older relative in particular. And I think carers can be characterized through their diversity of situations and experiences. So although you may have some very similar age profiles in, in the workplace of carers, um, their experiences can be very different. And of course that raises the next question, which is really what do we mean by double duty caregiving? And what do we mean by blurring of boundaries? And what, does that, what do those two things really mean for someone who's doing double duty? Uh, Professor Phillips first, please. I think in describing double duty, it's very much about somebody juggling personal care at home predominantly for somebody, an older person in particular, with providing professional care at work. So they're doing the professional and the personal. They're covering uh, often, very often uh, work during the day, which involves care elements, and also during the night as well. And very often the skills, knowledge, and experience from one area can apply to the other area as well. So when we talk about blurring boundaries of care, we're talking very much that it, it is very difficult to put uh, a boundary around what one does as part of one's job and what one does as part of caring for an older person uh, at home. Dr. Ward Griffin, is that the picture you see here in Canada? Well, 
Um, yes, in some respects. That's what really inspired our initial work. We really, we're, we're really wondering about the question, um, what is it like for those folks who care simultaneously at home and at work, so whereby caregiving um, is uh, continuous? Rather than bounded, be, you know, in terms of two separate domains. Um, up until recently, we tended to view family life and work life as two separate domains. With respect to caregiving, then, we tended to emphasize the differences between professional caregiving and personal caregiving. However, we have found that these differences that we tend to call caring about and caring for are linked for double-duty caregivers. Therefore, uh, thinking in terms of separate different domains, as Professor uh, Phillips mentioned, what is it like to be a nurse, for example, what is it like to be a family caregiver, is really a problem. In other words, double-duty caregivers, it is impossible, and they tell us not helpful, to separate their professional caregiver role from their family caregiver role because they are inseparable. Therefore, it's the connections rather than the separations between professional and family caregiving that are really important to examine if we hope to address those unique challenges faced by double-duty caregivers. Would you say, then, that that means that the professional, um, healthcare professional family caregiver is using his or her specialized knowledge to deliver care to his or her relative. Um, Professor Phillips, first on that one. Yes, and I think that's a strength of uh, the healthcare professional being involved in what we call informal care, which is family care in, in the UK. Um, they can use their knowledge and skills from one setting in, into the other setting. Um, and very much uh, that's often uh, how people come into the professional role. They've often been caring for an elderly relative who perhaps has, has died and they feel they have skills to offer and they come into the profession. And I think that's very interesting. They find that perhaps that area of work is rewarding because there are many benefits in, for the healthcare sector, having carers who've had experience of family caregiving as well. Just briefly, because we're going to go into a break, Dr. Ward-Griffin, does that mean then that the healthcare system is benefiting because you've in effect got skilled professionals working in the home looking after people? There, there, there are benefits for sure, but I think it's a double-edged sword to actually be a double-duty caregiver. Uh, on one hand, their level of expertise and knowledge of healthcare and the healthcare system positions them nicely to provide care. However, as we'll get back to, hopefully, their knowledge and expertise tends to increase those expectations, not only of themselves, but as well as from others, thereby putting them in a, in a difficult position. That's a key point. So I'm going to just take over for a moment and say it's time for us to take a short break. Uh, this is Dr. Gordon Adderley speaking, and my guests are Dr. Catherine Ward-Griffin and Professor Judith Phillips. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. Thank you. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health & Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Best Boomer Towns delivers the inside scoop on the best 21 places to relocate or retire in the U.S. Listen to columnists, town bloggers, and local residents as we highlight a town each week. Talk show host Nancy Shaka brings you the best and the brightest. As a baby boomer, you experienced Beatlemania, Woodstock, Vietnam, and the women's movement. Today, you're educated, health-minded, and thinking about where to spend your future. Tune in at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, to Best Boomer Towns every Thursday on the Voice America Variety Channel and start planning the best rest of your life. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Dr. Catherine Ward-Griffin and Professor Judith Phillips. I'm Dr. Gordon Adderley, your host, and our topic is healthcare professionals as family caregivers. Now, I'm going to start with the question, what types of care do double-duty caregivers provide and what does that involve? And I'm going to ask Dr. Ward-Griffin to start, just to follow on with some of the points she was making before the break. Dr. Ward-Griffin? Yes. Uh, the types of care that double-duty caregivers provide, very, you know, there's many similar uh, types of care that they provide, like other family caregivers, such as hands-on physical care, um, 
to you know being their relative's advocate, and and that's not unlike um, many family caregivers. However, what makes their their care unique is that it is shaped by their formal education and professional experience as a health professional. So, for example, they may be coordinating and navigating care actively monitoring the relative's condition, and even for some in our studies, prescribing meds. So in other words, because of their certain knowledge of healthcare or they know how to obtain that knowledge, they also provide complex care in the home and other settings that perhaps other family caregivers are not expected to do, at least not initially. And other and and consequence um, in consequence other health, other family members come to rely on double duty caregivers who tend to be the coordinator of that care. Yeah. Professor Phillips. Yes, I think I would concur with uh, Dr. Ward Griffin's uh, assessment of the types of care there. Uh, just to add some others, uh, very often social care is something that's very. Um, time-consuming and certainly uh, increasing, particularly for uh, carers in, in providing emotional and social support uh, to older relatives. Um, and that can be both face-to-face -face, but also in terms of contact over the telephone uh, and spending time having contact with um, the person they're caring for. And financial support, of course, is also a, a key area. But I think we, we also have to temper this by um, saying, of course, that older people, older relatives themselves provide uh, care to uh, younger generations as well, and that might be also emotional and financial support. So reciprocity here is quite important. It's not an all-one-way uh, trade, really, as well. Let's go to the question of the family caregivers themselves. When they're on family caregiving duty, what are the challenges they face and what do you see as the top three challenges and why would you put them at the top? Professor Phillips first. Well, I think there are many challenges to the family and, uh, and Kathy's alluded to some of them. I think some family actually absolve themselves of responsibility because there is a professional in the family who does uh, caring as part of their job. So very often they're picked out within a family as the key person to provide care. So that creates extra stress, I think, for people. And I think a lot of uh, healthcare professionals feel guilty. They feel they should be caring and they should be the one and they should be able to care uh, for their elderly relative very often um, because it is part of their professional job as well. So it provides or gives them extra expectations as well of themselves. And I think that is quite difficult. Um, and very often um, they're, they're facing quite isolated situations as well, whereas the rest of the family might expect them to get on with it and feel that they are coping. So I think there are a number of challenges there. Right. And those are basically your top three, are they? Yes, I think, I think expectations and, um, of the family, of other family members, is certainly at the top of the list there. Right. Dr. Ward Griffin? I would concur. Uh, managing those care expectations are, are really challenging. And as I alluded to earlier, 
on one hand, their level of expertise puts them in a nice position to provide the care, but this tends to increase those those um, expectations they they have of themselves, their own family members have of them, and also um, when they come across or are um, uh, in a formal care setting, even those formal care. Um, providers have extra expectations of them because they are nurses or doctors or another type of health professional. And many of them as well feel they have no choice but to provide care because of their additional knowledge and expertise. If they are the main or only family caregiver with a great deal of responsibility, um, they feel they need to be making those major decisions and sometimes without the benefit of sharing any of that accountability or responsibility with, with paid formal care providers. So as I said, they really are many times between a rock and a hard place. But on top of that, the second challenge and, and equally challenging is that they're providing this type of care with minimal supports. Um, their supports that, uh, uh, because they have extra expectations on them, their, their supports, um, you would think would be great or should be greater to help them with this, um, responsibility. But our own study, um, that we are just, um, our, our national Canadian study, we, it indicated that, our survey indicated that 80% do not have, for example, self-scheduling supports as a registered nurse. And um, almost 95% didn't have any reduced duties available to support them. So as I was saying, that th- those supports um, are, uh, are not available to them, and that certainly contributes to the um, degree of challenge that they have. And then finally, my third challenge, I believe, is um, uh, they are really trying to manage the stress of, of keeping what they think are the boundaries of professional and personal caregiving separate. And they're feeling guilty, for example, if they do not pick up on certain signs and symptoms of their elderly relative or if their advice was not accurate. So that tension, that uh, boundary-blurring tension is the uh, a, a third huge challenge for them. Now, what we've touched on um, is quite a few of the personal challenges. And um, Dr. Ward-Griffin, you were mentioning some of the professional ones. Let me just add one in. Um, it, within the professions, it's basically said you shouldn't be looking after your own family. Now, I don't know how literally we're supposed to take that, but obviously there's a question here then. Um, do the double-duty family caregivers face a professional along those lines. Um, Dr. Ward-Griffin? Well, you've mentioned a good point, and, and it's true. Most of the regulated health professions do have in their college of, of nurses or physicians, they do have in their standard that it is advisable not to care for um, relatives um, as, as, a, as a health care provider. Um, and so because of this notion that you cannot and should not care for relatives um, as a paid caregiver, then um, I think that is um, additionally um, difficult for them. But as I mentioned before, most really felt, even though they felt that it would be better to have uh, a, paid, uh, a paid caregiver 
or paid provider care for their relatives, many of them felt they had no choice but to provide that care. And many of them um, talk about the health care restructuring that we've experienced in Canada and other countries. It's really contributed to the creation of those limited resources, particularly in home care. Um, so that is, you know, contributes to that stress. So on one hand, they're told that they shouldn't be doing it, but on the other hand, um, many of them feel that there's not enough funding or staff um, that would allow them not to give care. Key point. Professor Phillips, that's the double-edged sword again. What's the UK experience or what's the Welsh experience about this sort of prof- professional uh, challenge? Well, I think that that also applies here as well, but perhaps not to the same extent. I I think there are slightly different professional challenges uh, here. One is very much keeping up with one's job opportunities for training and promotion, which uh, really seems to be at the top of the list. Um, It's it's very difficult to take the opportunities that are available in the workplace for carers because of the the personal as well as the professional uh, double duty and also finding support in the workplace, perhaps not necessarily from professional organizations, but very much from um, one's line manager and colleagues when it's very difficult to talk about perhaps difficult home situations and to find support in the workplace on a day-to-day basis. So I think the professional challenges are much more local than perhaps um, they are elsewhere and less so at, at the national level. I think our professional bodies are much more flexible in in the double duty um, allowances that uh, are made for people who are caring for um, relatives as well as uh, caring in their in their job I'm just going to make a swift comment around arising from um, a comment by a family caregiver who wasn't a professional in one of our earlier episodes and she said because she wasn't able to get uh, the nursing services that um, the person she was providing care to really needed. She found herself doing doing things that we might regard as profess- within the scope of professional practice. And of course, that raises a, an issue which uh, is a very another very challenging one: is do do people who aren't trained are they put in a position where, because there's no other help, they have to, shall we say, overstep into what might be professional boundaries? Now, I'm, we're just about to go for a break, and then we're going to come back to this, uh, I think, fascinating and vitally important topic. Um, it, this, this is Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Dr. Catherine Ward-Griffin and Professor Judith Phillips. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America channel, and we want you to stay tuned and to come back uh, after the break. Thank you. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. We all share similar desires. To be loved. To be happy. 
and to feel well. Your inner journey is here to support you, inspire you, and expand your knowledge of you. Tune in for new insights, meet our guests, get the inspiration you need to create the life you really want. Your Inner Journey with Penny Calcina is about her inner journey and your inner journey and the things that connect us all. Tune in every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for Your Inner Journey on 7th Wave Network. The violent crime rate has begun to rise again. So what's more important than feeling at ease and secure in your daily life? With an optimistic perspective on a sober subject, crime prevention and personal safety expert Susan Bartlestone brings you the information, tips, resources, and inspiring success stories that will reduce your fear and restore your confidence. So stay tuned and stay safe with Crime Prevention 101 and Susan Bartlestone every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, here on Voice America. It'd be a crime not to listen. Each week, take a visit inside the locker room of your favorite sport with Dez Clark, Paul Fresh Clark, and Lester Scudder Davis as they bring you sportsmanlike conduct. As a current player, Dez Clark can bring you inside the sports world like nobody can. His co-hosts represent the fans of the sports world. With both points of view on the table, it becomes an engaging and entertaining program to say the least. Sportsmanlike conduct can be heard Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Total career success. What does it mean to you? Voice America presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for Total Career Success on Voice America. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's Doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Welcome back to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Dr. Catherine Ward-Griffin and Professor Judith Phillips. Our topic is healthcare professionals as family caregivers. Question now. Let's ask a little bit more about the types of care that double duty caregivers provide and what it actually involves. Um, Dr. Ward Griffin, first of all, what, what are the types of care that are being provided in this double duty situation? Other well, types of care? Um, well, I, as I mentioned before, I, I believe that it is not so much different types of care that they provide compared to other family caregivers who are not double duty caregivers it is the in the end it is um, perhaps the factors of, of why they provide that care and maybe the expectations that are um, 
that they face because of that. And so I'll give you an example. Monitoring the care of their elderly relatives. Um, even though um, they are, for example, a daughter, and they go visit their their mother who provides, uh, who is um, receiving the care, um, they do not turn off their um, their nursing. If this was a nurse, their nursing um, uh, assessment. They are continually monitoring. They're continually um, de- uh, perhaps if giving advice if they feel that was appropriate or maybe um, uh, calling um, some colleagues of theirs that they might to get more information to help the caregiver decide if um, follow-up needs to be um, needs to be done so it's it's the complexity of the care mm-hmm. and an assessment and it's only because they have the, the additional knowledge and skills or they know how to get that additional knowledge and skills for them to provide that kind of assessment. Right. Professor, Professor Phillips, I'm going to rephrase the question a little bit to you. Um, let's focus on the fragile elderly people and the people who are caring for them. There's a question now of who pays for all of that, who benefits for all of that, and what generally are the benefits of keeping people, elderly, fragile elderly people, in their homes? I think they're very good questions. I think who pays is uh, quite a a topical one at the moment, particularly in in the UK, if uh, some of your audience have been listening to the debates recently on social care. I think really in terms of uh, who who pays, it's primarily the family, I think, that actually uh, has a a great deal of um, the, the the stress and the financial uh, payment and emotional uh, payment and costs uh, in relation to providing care. Um, I think uh, in terms of the financial aspects, if I can focus on those for for a moment, uh, particularly in the UK, a lot of health care workers and social care workers are very low paid. It's low status employment. Um, And very often they're on a short-term irregular contract uh, which can actually uh, mean that um, they're paying quite heavily. It's not just paying for, for care themselves, but also contributing um, to the older person's uh, care as well very often. So I think that it's a, it's a big issue in relation to who actually uh, pays. Um, and, of course, family care saves the state millions of pounds every year. So we're talking here um, about the family you know, providing a great deal of, of care. In terms of who benefits, well, I think everybody benefits. Obviously, the state benefits from uh, carers providing uh, what we call informal care here. Older people, of course, if we're talking about older people, it often prevents them from going into long-term care, uh, and all that is associated with long-term care. But also, I think the employer uh, can benefit as well, the healthcare employer, uh, because um, if particularly if carers are supported in the workplace, then productivity can actually be increased. And I think there's increasing evidence now uh, to show that carers in the workplace who have provided um, care at home actually are extremely good and competent and very resilient uh, workers in the workplace as well. So I think there are lots of benefits uh, for carers themselves, employers and older people. 
it can be rewarding for everyone. Dr. Ward Griffin, Canadian perspective on, on this question of costs, who, who pays, benefits. I, I agree with uh, Professor Phillips that there, um, there are a lot of benefits. Um, and I think in the end, uh, the healthcare system really benefits from um, caregivers providing um, assistance to older relatives. The one thing, though, that I really want to mention and emphasize is that sometimes we fail to um, uh, measure, perhaps, the health effects of double-duty caregiving. And so in terms of who pays, um, not financially, but maybe through their health, what we have demonstrated in a recent study here in Canada is that compared to non-double-duty caregivers, which would be those health professionals who are not family caregivers, for example, we found that male and female double-duty caregivers actually report lower levels of mental health and caregiver well-being compared to male and female non-DDCs. So in other words, the double-duty caregivers, they pay many times uh, through their health and, uh, ad- and experience more adverse health effects than those who are not double-duty caregivers, those who are paid caregivers, uh, paid providers, but um, not providing care to elderly relatives, for example. Putting it another way, in other words, it's hard work, isn't it? And it takes it out of you. Is that right? It's, it's hard work. Um, it, it needs to be um, recognized. But hard, the hard work over time and depending on um, the degree of support um, and the degree of expectations can have and, and do have adverse effects on the health of double-duty caregivers. Right. And that raises the question now, whether there comes a time when the double-duty caregiver isn't really any longer able to cope with all that family caregiving requires. If that is the case, that there is a time that comes, when is the time? And what are the things that bring it on? Professor Phillips, first of all. Well, I think it's very difficult to judge. I mean, different people have different levels of coping and different strategies for coping. So I think it's difficult to uh, generalize on on this one. Um, Most healthcare professionals juggling work and family life are are resilient. If they're still in the workplace, they're very resilient. Um, But I think often it, it comes down to some triggers that perhaps set off a chain of events. Um, just to give an example, in, in some of the research that we were doing, um, an older person relative um, sometimes has a fall that leads to hospital admission. Um, and it's generally at, at those kind of points that um, perhaps where carers aren't going in every day, they realize that they're actually at the end of their their tether, so to speak. And, and that can often lead to an admission to long-term care for older people. And I think it's often the decision of others uh, recognizing the stress that uh, our healthcare workers are under that perhaps uh, alerts them to the fact that perhaps they have come to the end of the road and they have to do something about their health. And very often um, a supportive manager can often um, alert the carer to these things. So having a supportive um, peer group and manager is really important. Um, and, and the warning signs are very much around little things as well, when people cannot cope with the little things at work, um, when there's a, a recognized need perhaps in the workplace for support. Then I think um, 
carers have to take stock. But I think it's very difficult to generalize on this one. Sure. Dr. Ward Griffin, let me ask you the same question, but in a different context. Dealing with, let's say, dementia, Alzheimer's disease, which progresses, in short, it gets worse, and the burden, if that's the correct word that it creates, also gets worse or higher uh, as, as time goes on. Would you accept that at times that must indicate that the time has come to, for a transition from, shall we say, home to long-term care? Um, what do you think about that? Well, that's a, that's a good a question, Gordon, in terms of providing some context here. I think the one thing that we've learned um, over the um, number of years we've been doing studies on double-duty caregiving is that not all double-duty caregivers are the same. In fact, we revealed that... Uh, there are at least three types of double-duty caregivers, and we've, we've labeled them um, making it work, working to manage, and living on the edge. And these are sort of the topologies. So you, using your example, um, those folks who have been providing care over time with minimal supports um, um, or the expectations have increased, either the health um, of the person that's receiving the care has changed, then um, it, is, um, it, it really is very difficult for um, um, double-duty caregivers um, to continue to manage. And the, the last typology I mentioned called living on the edge, that actually came from a qualitative study um, that we did a few years ago where one of the participants really described her experience as living on the edge. That's a very, very interesting point. And talking of edges, I have to break in because we do have to take this short break um, I won't make any comments about short breaks, except that they are absolutely necessary. This is Gordon Atherley. My guests are Dr. Catherine Ward-Griffin and Professor Judith Phillips. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, and please stay with us. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. A merchant of hope is someone who has a positive impact on those who have either lost hope or never had it. Tune into a powerful program designed to provide the understanding, motivation, and the passion needed by caring and committed merchants of hope. Join Dr. Crystal Kirkendall each week for an inspiring program, Magnifying the Power of Merchants of Hope, live every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's must-hear radio. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. 
Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnist. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You know, I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Hello and welcome back. I'm Dr. Gordon Atherley. I'm your host. Um, this is Family Caregivers Unite, and our two guests, Dr. Catherine Ward-Griffin and Professor Judith Phillips are speaking about healthcare professionals as family caregivers. Now, this is the point at which um, I'm going to ask them both exactly the same question, which is to them, suppose that you as individuals are appointed by your government to oversee the development of policies for double-duty caregivers Given that boundaries are getting blurred in caregiving, what are the things you would propose and why? In short, um, what are the things that need doing in the two countries we're representing here, that is Canada and the UK? Professor Phillips, first of all. Well, I think there's no single solution or quick fix or standard approach, actually. I think we need support on a number of levels, uh, particularly in the workplace, uh, in society in general, and in our public sector services. And I think one of the things that is very difficult, certainly in the UK context, is it's difficult to legislate for this kind of support, particularly legislating in the workplace. But I think what we need to develop is much more supportive and flexible services, both within the workplace and in the public sector, to support carers, to have good quality services, so developing and ensuring that um, employers actually address that with the public sector to look at good home care services in particular. 
And I think certainly more flexible services because a number of carers who are in a healthcare situation um, need care on weekends, for example, and in, in times of emergency at short notice. So developing services around uh, those kind of areas is very important. In relation to finances, again, I think we need to, to have policies in place. Uh, we're very fortunate in the UK. We have a carer's allowance. We have individual payments to older people, for example, to buy care. Uh, but again, we need to be looking at finances across the life course to ensure that uh, policies are in place to guarantee people uh, a good pension when they retire because often carers have taken time out of the workplace uh, to provide care and often have not put money into a pension to cover them in, in later life. So having that support is going to be very important. And, of course, policies in the workplace, too, um, targeting uh, employers, uh, particularly to provide uh, training for carers, is very uh, important, uh, particularly healthcare professionals, because a lot of the physical stresses um, from lifting people, for example, can easily be uh, overcome, and carers can be supportive if, if they have the right training uh, in terms of physical uh, duties, but also in terms of emotional support and counselling, for example. So training is very important uh, in relation to this. And I think finally I would say that uh, we need to be looking at society in general. We need to challenge society's gendered view of care. Um, it needs to be a, a less gendered uh, element in society so that the burden isn't always with women and also we need to be challenging the low status of care work and particularly in the health and social care sectors of care work. It has to be a much more valued and respected profession and then I think that would be a great support if we can change people's attitudes towards care it would be a great support particularly to double duty caregivers. Dr. Ward Griffin, same question. Yes, um, I, I agree uh, 100% with, with uh, Professor Phillips, particularly the last comment about challenging societal assumptions um, about uh, gender and caring, for example. I think we also need to um, challenge other types of assumptions that are embedded in policies. Uh, we've, you know, we've mentioned earlier that um, uh, when double duty caregivers feel they are have more um, burden to or or more expectations to care for older relatives, many of them say, "Well, it's because I'm a I'm a, a caregiver, I'm a paid um, provider, I'm I'm a woman, and perhaps that is why I'm expected to do this." And so our policies um, need to be really um, examined. We also need to look at um, and beyond the personal coping strategies of caregivers to include policies that support double-duty caregiving. I think many times when we talk about strategies and what we need to uh, put in place to support caregivers, sometimes it comes down to those personal coping strategies. But I believe we need to really collaborate um, with um, other caregivers, employers, policymakers, and really coming up with specific policies. So, for example, and I think in Canada we can learn a lot from the UK, but I, I know in the work that we've done, 
um, many of our double duty caregivers, for example, feel that they are expected to use, um, you know, their sick time, for example, to care for um, members in their family, uh, or take leave of absences um, in, instead of having um, workplace policies that are in place, so they can, um, you know, take family days, for example, to uh, to provide the care that they are providing. They also felt very strongly that flex time um, needs to be uh, much more um, apparent in uh, in the workplace. Uh, one of the purpose of our, of our Canadian Double Duty Caregiving Study is to identify those relevant policies that would help um, help DDCs, and there's some of the things that they felt very strongly about. And finally. Um, I, I believe that uh, we really do need to think about more um, and diverse government programs that will help keep seniors in their home um, as well as support those family caregivers who are who are providing care and uh, we you know and in Canada, for example, we have the compassionate caregiver leave, and although our double duty caregiver participants in our study stated that that leave was helpful, it really wasn't beneficial to them at all until, of course, their member was more palliative. So those are the kinds of things that we really need to take a, a look at and change if we are really going to increase supports for double-duty caregivers. Great. Um, I'm going to just put in a plug for this show. Please forgive me. But it's called Family Caregivers Unite because I hope that the the show will achieve the kind of discussion among family caregivers, and obviously that includes uh, professionals, healthcare professionals who are also family caregivers, um, in bringing forward their ideas, descriptions of their needs, and putting a kind of pressure on government, public authorities, and so on, to provide them with exactly the kind of support that you've identified. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. I want to say thank you to our listeners, and please do email us with your comments and questions, which I'll pass on to um, our two guests today, um, because we really would like to hear from you. I want to say thank you very much sincerely to Dr. Catherine Ward-Griffin and Professor Judith Phillips. They've shared their research findings with us. They've pointed us the changes that are needed, and what they're really saying is family caregivers, all of them, professional and otherwise, need to be fairly supported at home and at work. Now, our next episode is about family caregiving in immigrant families. Please join us at the same time, it's the same spot on the internet, and it's yet another topic of very great importance in our complex society. Thank you for listening. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.